What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hi, I'm Rich. And I'm Tina. And if there's one thing we've learned in over 20 years of marriage... It's that some days you'll feel like killing your husband. And some days you'll feel like killing your wife. Welcome to Love, Mary Kill. Rich. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? Good. Good. Excited. Good. We're back here for part two of the Bob and Jane Bashara story. I'm not that excited. No? <laughs> Bob's just so gross. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, he sure is. <laughs> he is. Well, should we recap where we... Absolutely. Okay. So, basically, we're talking about the murder of Jane Oh, I thought you wanted Bashara. to talk about the snacks. <laughs> Do you want to recap, <laughs> recap her snack situation? Yep. Well, you gave me this bowl of better made barbecue potato chips during our last episode. And spoiler alert, we're recording them all on the same day. Um, and I really have just been eat. looking at them. Yeah, because I think it'd be rude to be eating potato time. chips. Yeah. <laughs> but I also, during our, our little break, I went and got um, a cookie that I made yesterday. Yeah. Tell, and, why don't you tell us what kind of cookie it is? Uh, what are they called? Uh, cowboy. cowboy cookies? Yeah. I made them to send to someone special who may or may not be listening. Um, but they're, they're pretty good. What'd you think? Yeah, I think they're really good. I'm not a big fan of like coconut. And yeah. There's coconut in them, but other than that small detail, I think they're very good. Here's a tip that maybe, well, no one asked for, but I'm gonna give you anyway. Um, uh, I like coconut a lot and the members of my family don't. So whenever I cook any recipe with coconut, I put the coconut through the food processor so it gets as small as possible. Oh. I do that with nuts too. So a lot of times people don't like coconut because of the texture and because it gets stuck in your teeth or whatever. But if you pulverize it before you, wow. you know, before you cook with it, you get the flavor, but not necessarily the texture. You are so smart. I bet I, people listening to this had no idea that they were going to get cooking or baking tips. That in they addition. didn't ask for. So, yeah. But, Sorry about that if you're not interested in that. But I do like to bake cookies, as any of our friends that are listening probably know. I'm sure this is not the last time we will record a podcast with a cookie. Yeah, maybe I'll share the recipe. It's, I think it's a really good recipe. Yeah, it's really good. I love the fact that there are like M&Ms in there. See, that was, I diverged from the recipe and I just threw those little mini M&Ms and they're just on a whim. Uh, improvised. Wow. <laughs> yeah. nice. I think for some reason, M&Ms in a cookie, they, it's that little, the candy coating crunchiness. It just does something to the texture. It makes it really Yeah. Good. And I know our son, I think our, our son would probably enjoy them. So I'm going to ship some off to him this week. Cool. Awesome. Well, I guess back to the case, unless you have any, anything else you wanted to recap. Um, I guess the better made barbecue <laughs> potato chips are unpaid sponsor. Uh, they're actually really, I think they're pretty good. Yeah, I, I ate all mine. Well, we took a little break and they're, they are pretty good. They're not, yeah. still not my favorite, but they're pretty good. I think they're so similar to a Lay's though, and you really love Lay's. So, yeah. so Richard, I think like a lot of people, a lot of podcasts you might listen to, uh, a lot of people do beer or wine recommendations while they're uh, doing their podcast. And I'm not a big drinker. So I, <laughs> we were thinking that we would just talk about snacks, but maybe that's annoying. You can tell us if we're being annoying or you don't want to hear that. That's fine. I don't want to hear if we're being annoying. No, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're being annoying, I'm sure, to some people. You can't please everyone. True, true. And who knows if anyone's even listening. If you are, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. 
<laughs> All right. So tell us more about this lovely, lovely individual, Bob Bashara. Well, let's just recap a little bit. So Bob and Jane, they lived in uh, Gross Point Park, Michigan, which is right near Detroit, kind of an affluent suburb. Um, Bob was a piece of shit. He did not know how to run a rental business. He was a kind of a slumlord. He um, had financial troubles, and he was also really into uh, this BDSM lifestyle. He wanted to be known as Master Bob and have Ooh, wow. two uh, submissive women live with him. Um, he had met this woman, Rachel, who uh, was kind of his steady and then they were going to buy a house together, and they were trying to find a third woman um, to live with them so that he could have this outstanding household. And then when we left off last time, Bob was putting feelers out, trying to find someone. Uh, well, first of all, he was talking about roughing up a tenant, but eventually it became clear that he was looking for someone to kill his wife. And he found that person in the name of Joe Gentz, who was a really big guy. Okay, so I was I was going to ask last time. So he's buying this new home with this other woman looking for a you know, a second or and third wife. But he still has Jane, he still has Jane. He's still married to Jane and as far as I can tell, he had no he had never filed for divorce from Jane, nothing like that. So he was still with And Jane had no Jane. idea what was going on. Yeah, I mean, I think Jane knew he was a piece of shit and he had a bit of a double life, but she had no idea about Bob buying this other house with this other woman. So if Bob had plans to to get rid of Jane, why would he need a new house? He could just move into the Gross Point house. That's a really good good point. <laughs> Maybe that would be too 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 odd. I wonder if Bob brought that up in his defense eventually. <laughs> why would I do that? It's crazy that Bob like thought he was going to get away with any of this like yeah. it wouldn't like sus- suspicion wouldn't automatically be on him yeah I like think- oh my wife died but i also have you know these other ladies that i'm involved with and living with and bought a house with yeah i think like a lot of uh, people who commit crimes like this he was just super arrogant and just had no like idea that anyone would ever suspect him of yeah, this. i think a lot of murderers are are not narcissists yeah for sure all right so let's jump back in. Yeah, let's dive into the actual the day of the murder and kind of piece together what we think happened. Um, well, you had said the last episode at the beginning that Jane was found in her car in an abandoned alley, uh, in an alley behind an abandoned house in like northeast early in Detroit. the morning. Yeah, it was like before the sun came up. So the day before that, which is January twenty fourth, that's what we're going to walk through now. So Jane left for work that morning about seven fifteen. Uh, in the morning, she left a note for their housekeeper to keep an eye out for her wedding ring, which uh, seemed to have been misplaced. Oh, mm, I, know. I, wonder I wonder where that went. I wonder what happened to that. Um, Bob called Joe Gantz three times that day. The first time at 6.24 a.m. He called Rachel at 7.24 a.m., a few minutes after Jane left. A friend of Jane's called her that afternoon to see if she wanted to go to a basketball game with her that night. Um, Jane declined because she said that she and Bob had plans to sit down and go through their taxes that evening, which oh, fun. were you know a mess, as you might have uh, surmised from what we've talked about so far. Bob called Gents again at uh, 2.30 p.m. and told him he needed some work done at his and Jane's home on Middlesex and asked him to meet him there at 6 o'clock. Uh, Bob told Gents, don't be late, be there at 6.00. Bob then drove to his realtors to pick up the closing packet on uh, his and Rachel's new house, which was scheduled to close in three days. And so Jane, Jane again, had no idea that he bought this house with no, another one. As far as I could tell, she had no idea about this, which is just crazy, right? Just so you know, I'd be, I'd be pretty, <laughs> pretty angry with you if you bought a house with another woman. <laughs> Under, I write. I'd probably be. Yeah, I, I bet furious. You, yeah, I, I, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> So Bob told the realtor that he had most of the money together that he needed and don't not to worry, he'd have the rest of it soon. What was he, I'm sorry, uh, was he paying cash for the house? I don't know. I have no idea. He mu- must have been. I, I don't know. No yeah, idea. Okay. Um, Jane got off work at four and she called her daughter Jessica on the way home. Um, they actually chatted. Wait, where does Jessica go to school again? <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying to, you just want me to... <laughs> Talk about University of Michigan and say go blue again, don't you? <laughs> I knew you wanted to say it. So, they had a good game yesterday. 
they did have a good game yeah um jane and jessica so they chatted kind of the entire ride home uh for jane bob was at the hard luck lounge at this time um this is the the bar that's in one of his buildings above his dungeon uh he ordered a captain and coke which the bartender noted was that's funny that you know what well, the, the only reason i know that is because the bartender was like huh that's weird he usually orders a paps blue ribbon hmm. so it was unusual for him to order a mixed drink um bob sipped his drink for about a half hour before letting the bartender know that he was leaving and he'd be back in a half hour which again the bartender was like Bob never, ever talks about his comings and goings. Why would I care if he's leaving uh, and coming back yeah. in a half hour? So again, kind of weird. Laying down that alibi. Yep. Um, Gens walked from his apartment and got to the house on Middlesex right at six. Uh, Bob and Jane were in the kitchen. Um, Bob lets Gens in and directs him to the garage. He told Jane that Joe was there to help clean some stuff out of the garage. Bob then brings Jane out to the garage while Gens is there, and Bob and Jane get into an argument about the stuff that um, needed to be cleared out of the garage. I guess Bob had a lot of shit in the garage, and Jane was getting fed up with it, um, but Bob apparently you know, told Jane, that's what Joe is here for. He's going to help clean this stuff out of the garage. I imagine neatness wasn't one of Bob's better attributes. <laughs> Probably not. So according to Gens, then, Bob then pulls a gun out, points it at Gens, and says, shut her up, do it now. He's blocking Gens in the garage, and he says, take her out or I'm taking you. Now, I think this whole part of the story, and this is coming from Joe Gens, Joe, as we'll see who later. Joe, said, was mentally challenged. Yeah. This whole part seems a little bit weird to me because, according to Joe, Jane doesn't see Bob pointing the gun, like he's behind the car or something. But I would think if you're in the garage and I'm pointing a gun at another person... You would know that. But anyway, Jane or Gens at that point hits Jane in the back of the neck and knocks her down. Uh, Bob says, choker. Jane says, what are you doing, Bob? Help me, Bob. Bob says, take care of her. And Gens then used his boot to break her neck. So he basically oh. stomped on her uh, to kill her. Oh, that's horrible. It's Jane really, did not deserve that. No, it's really horrible. And, and to just imagine, you know, like even... I'm sure Jane knew that Bob was a piece of shit, but she probably didn't think he was such a big piece of shit that he was going to have her killed. So, you know, just imagine she's there like, what is going on? Bob is standing there while this guy is like, you know, trying to kill me. I think no matter how many cases that you and I do, I'll never get used to the idea of you love someone so much, you marry them and have a family with them and... And then you think it's okay to, to end their life. Yeah. It breaks my heart. And after so many years together, too. You know, it's like, yeah, it wasn't like they, yeah. I'm sure she wasn't a perfect wife, but I, she didn't deserve that. No, nope, for sure. So at that point, Bob uh, has Gents make sure that she's dead. And then they put her body into the back of the SUV uh, together. And while they're doing this, Bob says to Gents, if you ever say anything, I'll kill you. And then Bob empties her purse and throws her cell phone and other items onto the front seat and the floor. So Gents got into the SUV at this point and Bob promised to pay him, saying, you'll get a, you'll get a ring, you'll get $10,000 and a Cadillac. Don't worry about it. I'll catch up with you later. So I'm what sure... was that Cadillac? No, Jane's car was No, Jane's car was a Mercedes SUV. Bob had like an old... It was an old beat-up Cadillac. It wasn't like a nice okay. car, but he was basically told Joe he would give it to and him. And was he going to give, you said ring, was it Jane's wedding ring? I think so, yeah. Not oh. sure. But if you know Bob, he wasn't ever going to probably pay Joe anyway. Well, I had another question about uh, Bob and firearms. Was Did he have a lot of firearms? or No, he actually claimed, um, I don't think I actually go into this in the story, but he actually claimed he did not own a gun at all. Um Oh, so was that part of his defense then? Yeah, he said, I've never owned a gun. And then it turned out later, um, his I, I probably should have covered this because it's kind of interesting, but his mom actually ended up finding a gun in a safe deposit box. He Bob had given her a bag and said, hey, put this in a safe deposit box. She did. <laughs> she didn't look at it. But then later she went back and she saw that there was a gun. Wait, <laughs> he gives his mom a bag and says, put this in, and she yeah. never opens the bag? No, she never opened it. I'd open the bag. Son, if you're listening, I would open the bag. 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, apparently he did have a gun. Um, but so the other weird thing before I, I'm going to digress a little bit, because I think it's really weird. Like if you're going to hire someone to kill someone for you, why would you be there when it happened? Like the whole point of hiring someone is so you could be somewhere else when it happened so that you had an alibi, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. But maybe he was nervous that Joe wouldn't go through with it because I don't think Joe was a killer by nature. And I think he was probably just concerned that he would mess it up somehow. Yeah, I'm sure you're probably right. It just seems weird to me. Like, uh, you know, and he did he did all this work to like set up an alibi like he was at the Hard Luck Lounge. And then he goes back to the Hard Luck Lounge right away after this. Yeah, if you would have just stayed at the Hard Luck Lounge. It would have been a better alibi, right? Right, right. Um, so Bob does, he goes back to the Hard Luck Lounge. Joe leaves. He takes the SUV to the alley behind the abandoned house. On his way to the bar, Bob calls Jane's cell phone, but he didn't leave a message. When he gets to the bar, he grabs a broom and announces, I'll be out back uh, cleaning up behind the building where the customers park. I'm sure Bob was... Just always cleaning up the well, place. That, this was, you know, another big red flag because people were like, what the hell? Like, Bob Bob never does any work. Like no in one the Jeffrey McDonald ever. case when Jeffrey's alibi was that he was doing dishes and his father-in-law yeah. was like, he had never touched a dish in his life. Yeah, it was like that was the most suspicious thing he could have possibly done. Um, but yeah, he goes out back, he sweeps for a little bit, then he comes back inside, he orders a drink and he calls a friend of his, a guy named Michael uh, Carmody. And asks if Michael wants to come grab a drink. Uh, Michael comes down to the bar. He and Bob have a drink and hang out for about an hour or so uh, before they go their separate ways. So what do you think his demeanor is at this point? Like his wife's gone and... Seems like he's perfectly normal. Like nobody nobody commented other than the fact that he's doing things like sweeping, which he never did, or ordering a... He was grief sweeping. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Other than acting, you know, doing things like that... um, I didn't read anything about him acting, you know, strangely or upset or emotional or anything. I just find that devastating. Yeah. The mother of your children, the woman that took care of you for 25 years. Maybe she wasn't submissive enough for you, but she dies and you just go on like nothing ever happened. Yeah. He's a piece of shit. So... Uh, eventually, so he goes back to the house on Middlesex, right? Because he and Jane had talked about doing their taxes at eight o'clock. Um, of course, Jane wasn't there. Um, Bob, you know, at that point, do you think he did that to get out of the taxes? Like, <laughs> they could, that would have been super I would, unpleasant. I would do a lot to get out of taxes. Like I could kill her before the tax talk or after the. Let's do it before the tax talk. <laughs> yeah, I guess if if you're gonna if you're gonna time it, that would be the way to do it. Um, so at that point, you know, Bob is basically acting the way he thought he should, right? He calls Jane's phone a couple of times. He texts her friends to see, hey, is Jane with you? He calls. Oh, like, please. Yeah, he call- like he would like that just seems like out of character, you know, like I'm guessing these two didn't see each other a whole lot. They probably had separate lives and he probably wasn't really concerned where Jane was most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think he was trying to, you know, do what he thought um, a good husband would do if your wife was really missing. He must have had to read a book or something. What would a good husband do if his <laughs> wife went missing? Yeah. So the next morning, when police came to tell Bob that they had found Jane's body, they noted that Bob didn't really react much. No tears, no emotion. Um, in fact, it took a few minutes before he even asked what happened to Jane. Uh, it was a very flat response, very casual, didn't ask many questions, although he later said that he was super upset and was really emotional and the cops were like, no, didn't have really much of a reaction at all. He immediately started telling the cops what he had done the day before, when he had received certain phone calls. He was very exact on times. So, mm-hmm. of course, he he, you know, he launches into, well, I was here and then I was there and I left here at this time. So... Um, not not really the sign of someone who is innocent. From the beginning, you know, the cops weren't really buying Bob's story, but they also didn't have a lot of evidence. Um, he was playing the part of a grieving husband. He was trying to act helpful to the investigation. He, he talked to the police voluntarily. He kept suggesting that Jane's death must be connected to the four women who were found dead in their cars in Detroit in the previous month, as we talked about uh, last time. Um, 
Police asked him about any affairs, and he lied. He said the state of his marriage was good, no no major problems. Um, like, I don't know how he thought that wasn't going to come out eventually. Right. Um, a couple of other odd things that came out in his first interview with the police. Uh, first, Bob brought up the garage out of nowhere, saying that Jane had been on him to clean his shit out of the garage so, so she could park there again. Detectives were like, why is he bringing up the garage? Maybe we should take a look there. <laughs> so, you know, kind of gave them a clue of where to where to look. He also mentioned that Jane liked to smoke pot before bed, and he um, was kind of speculating, well, maybe she was going to Detroit to buy pot, and that was really? why she was murdered. Yeah. Yeah, so trying to make Jane into, you know, into the, a pothead um, <laughs> who got killed because of her, you know, her hardcore her drug habit. Drug use, yeah. Yeah. Um, as Jane's, uh, the story of James, Jane's murder started making headlines, uh, Bob's girlfriends all started realizing how much of a liar and a piece of shit he actually was. In Oregon, Janet, the woman who he had flown out to see a few days or a couple of weeks before Jane was killed, saw the news and realized that Bob was married, even though he had told her he was divorced. And Rachel, who had been with Bob for over three years at this point. Oh, wow at one point saw an interview with Bob on the news where he said, I lost my wife and my best friend. And that's when she realized that he was still married. Um, this was apparently the finally the last straw for her. Um, so she actually dumped him at this point. Uh, changed, Good call, Rachel. <laughs> well, a little, a little late, but yeah. She changed the lock on her apartment. She told him to stop contacting her. She actually filed a personal protection order against him and Eventually, so she, do you think Rachel was instantly like, "Yep, he did it"? No, I don't think so. I, honestly, oh, like okay. from everything I read, nobody really thought that at first. He, they were like, "Okay, he was a liar," but uh, there's no way he killed his wife. Like that—that—that's a bridge too far. Okay. It's like this—you know—the story went on in the news for a long time, and it just as more and more things came out, I think everybody sort of gradually came to the realization that okay, he did—he did do this. Um, eventually, Rachel actually did a, an interview with the local news and, and told them about all of uh, Bob's lies. On Friday, three days after the murder, Bob agreed to take a lie detector test, and he failed. Uh, he later... So I think that's another sign of a narcissist. Yeah. You think that you can trick the machine because... Yeah. You're smarter than... You're smarter than the police you're smarter than a polygraph machine you're smarter than science yeah and we'll talk about in a little bit but bob had what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation where it's not about mission statements but a shared mission at u.s customs and border protection we go beyond to protect more than borders from ship to shore air to ground cities to local communities cbp agents and officers are keeping people safe Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Taken a polygraph once before, several years earlier for something else, which I, I'll leave that oh as, a, as a teaser, but okay. he actually passed that polygraph test, even though I think he was probably lying. Oh, okay. So he may have felt like, I did this once before. I could do it again. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. Now, he later took and supposedly passed a another lie detector test administered by a polygrapher that his lawyer hired. Do you kind of want to take a lie detector test? I do. I'd really... Like, I don't have anything really that they could ask me that I would be nervous about, but... Yeah, I'm, prob I'm kind of fascinated by lie me detector too, tests, too. Me too, me um, too. Like, ask me how much I weigh. <laughs> 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 that would probably be one where I would maybe not tell you the truth, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, his So, yeah, the second polygraph test was one that his lawyer had arranged. And his lawyer said, well, my guy has better credentials than the police uh, polygraph guy. So there. Um, while Bob was in his interview on that Friday, a police searched his home on Middlesex. Uh, the press got wind of the search and a bunch of them showed up at the house. And 
They called Gross Point Park Police Chief David Hiller for comment. Hiller told them that Bob was a person of interest in the case, and in fact, he was the only person of interest in the case. This was a huge surprise to reporters that this uh, police chief would reveal that. It was an even bigger surprise to the Detroit Police Department because they had no idea that Hiller was going to say that, and they were furious because they knew that that meant Bob would lawyer up and, and stop cooperating. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, Bob had been, you know, you know, talking to them without a lawyer. Um, so pretty, not a probably the smartest move by the Gross Point Park Police. Um, another example of uh, Gross Point Park Police incompetence, uh, Rachel showed up there one morning ready to tell them everything she knew about Bob and their affair. Uh, police actually knew who she was because... They had seen her name as a co-owner on one of Bob's properties. Um, but when she showed up at the police department, the desk officer said, oh, sorry, there's no one here to take your statement. Why don't you come back tomorrow? And again, Detroit police found out about this, and they were like, you just let a key witness like walk away without talking to her? So Bob did, uh, he did lawyer up after all this, and um, on Saturday he met with his Uh, new attorney who asked Bob if he knew of anyone who might have a motive to kill Jane. Was his attorney Jeffrey Figer? No, it wasn't Jeffrey (laughs) Figer. Sorry, that was for Detroit people. Local (laughs) reference. Good good reference, though. Um, No, actually, Bob went through a lot of different attorneys. I didn't even put their names in here. Oh, it was was probably a Bernstein. (laughs) No, it wasn't a Bernstein. Wasn't Okay, uh, sorry, another another Detroit reference. uh, What's the other one? Jumana. 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 Wasn't Jumaan either? Nope. nope, none of them. Um, but he did, uh, so he did tell his lawyer, though, this is when he decides he's going to make Joe a scapegoat. And he says, um, you know, I, I think he didn't trust Joe to be quiet. Um, and so he wanted to be proactive about it. And he, he tells his lawyer, well, this guy, Joe Gentz, was disgruntled because of some disagreement involving a project they had worked on together. And so... Bob and his lawyer wrote, wrote a letter to the police about this, and Bob's lawyer dropped it off at the Gross Point Park Police Department on Sunday morning. On Monday, uh, Gross Point Park Police asked Gents to come in for questioning. Gents spoke with them for 40 minutes, denied knowing anything about the murder, and in another example of the two police departments not working together, Gross Point Park Police decided not to share anything about Gents with the Detroit police. Uh. <laughs> So so frustrating. I know. Really, this seems to happen so often when, when police departments, you know, they don't trust each other. They don't work together well. Yeah. They don't share information. This was... Not just police departments, like, you know, between the FBI and the yeah. CIA and... Yep. And in this case, you know, the Gross Point Park police had never investigated a murder before in their lives. So you would think they would be, they would kind of defer to out. Detroit mm-hmm. police who investigated a lot of murders. But... Uh, after this, so Gents talked to them, didn't admit to anything. But after this, he talked to a good friend of his, a guy named Steve Vergona. And Gents decides to tell Steve the truth about what happened. Vergona gives him advice. He's like, you know, maybe you should get out in front of this. Maybe you should tell the police everything because you're going you're, you're gonna to get caught. They're going to find out. Why don't you be proactive? Go tell the police what happened. Gents finally says, you know, it's probably a good idea. So he goes back to the Gross Point Park Police Department and he tells them everything. He was scared that Bob was going to try to kill him. And so he actually asked to be taken into protective protective custody, which they did, even though he wasn't actually arrested at that time. So they he confessed to all this stuff. Mm-hmm. He asked to be protected. They said, OK, we'll put you in custody, but we're not going to arrest you because they wanted to keep investigating. They felt like they didn't have enough evidence yet. And, of course, they hadn't talked to the Detroit Police Department about this either, which, in the meantime, so Steve Vergona, the guy that Gents had talked to about this, he decides, you know what, I should probably talk to police because I don't want to get caught in the middle of this because Gents just told me all this stuff. I don't want to get, you know, I don't want people to think I was part of this or anything like that. But instead of going to the Gross Point Park Police, he goes to the Detroit Police and he tells them everything he knows about Gents. Now, for the Detroit Police... This is the first time they've ever heard of Gents. And so they find out that Gents has already talked to the Gross Point Park police twice and that he's confessed. And again, the Detroit police are like, they're livid about this whole thing. So the Gross Point Park police, they they hold Gents for 72 hours. 
Um, but even with his confession, they didn't feel like they had enough evidence yet to charge him. And so they let him go, which seems a little bit questionable. Um, right. Because you've got a guy admitting to murdering someone, but yeah, for sure. Let him go. And everybody at this point, you know, a lot of people are still on Bob's side and they think, okay, this guy against did it. Um, and, and they're letting him out. So everyone was freaking out a little bit. Like, how could they let this guy out? And the media, like, you know, as details about the case are, are getting out, it just, it became a media circus. It was a huge ongoing story, um, not only in the Detroit area, but it became a national story. Good Morning America started running stories about it regularly. Um, the local news started digging into Bob's finances and they found out that he owed all this money and back taxes. Um, and people started calling in tips about Bob's gambling debts and how he would fail to pay pay people back. And so, you know, when this whole thing happened, it was like, oh, this respected Gross Point Park businessman. I remember that. App, yes. And it, it just sort of gradually started crumbling. Like, yes. okay, this guy was not what we think. And then about a week after Jane's death, they learned the media learned about his affair with Rachel, and they started reporting on that. They still weren't into the whole BDSM thing, but they were reporting that he had had an affair. Um, the next day, Bob held a press conference outside his home. He had his mom and his son by his side. His daughter had gone back to University of Michigan. <laughs> Go blue. Um, Bob's son, Rob, said that both he and his sister supported their dad. They were with him 100%. Meanwhile, as Bob walked away at the end of the press conference, he's like dabbing his eyes with a handkerchief handkerchief and everyone's like he's there's no t- his eyes are completely dry and he's just like acting like he's you know crying the next day after this press conference february 2nd the press broke the story about bob's sex dungeon in the basement of the hard luck lounge and at this point as you can imagine it just became total insanity in the media more details kept coming out about bob's bdsm lifestyle and his online you know, Master Bob persona and all, all this stuff. The media also found out that years earlier, in 1995, Bob had been accused of molesting his five-year-old niece. Oh. Yeah. Police investigated at the time, and um, as I mentioned, they gave him a lie detector test, and he apparently passed the lie detector test, and so police dropped it. But if you look back at some of the details, I'm not going to go through the details of the allegation, but the the story that his five-year-old niece had told, there was, you know, things involved like like spanking and stuff like that that would kind of mm-hmm. fit into Bob's desire to be, you know, the dominant um, person. So I think, you know, all all signs point to the fact that there probably was something there. And however Bob was able to do it, he passed the lie detector test. So as all these stories kept coming out and coming out, you know, Bob gradually began losing support of of his family and friends until eventually he was left really with nobody, nobody supporting him at all. So back to the investigation. So all through February, uh, police are working to confirm details of what Gents had told them. They used luminol to find a few blood stains in the garage where Jane had been killed. They did a bunch of DNA testing and they found that blood from Jane's fingernail, a drop of blood from the garage floor, and DNA taken from Jane's SUV all matched Joe Gens. Mm-hmm. They also found Jane's DNA on Gens's boot that he had stomped on her neck with. So <sighs> at this point, they had enough to arrest Joe Gens. So they arrested him on March 5th, so like about a month and a half mm-hmm. after Jane's death. But they made a point at that time of saying, the investigation was not over. So the story takes kind of another crazy turn now because at this point, Bob decides that he has to shut Gens up permanently. So he goes back to... So him. wait, wasn't Gens in, in, in protective jail. custody? Yeah. No, he was... Yeah, Gens got arrested at this point and Bob okay, but... was like, you know, he's going to talk and we need to, we need to shut him up. How is he going to do that? Well, so he goes back to his friend, Steve Tobato. If you remember, Steve was the guy who had originally introduced Bob to Joe Gents. And also, uh, you know, he kind of acted like he was connected with mobsters, even though he really wasn't. In fact, Tabato actually went to the police proactively when he when he found out Bob was trying to get meet with him. Bob wanted to talk to him. He went to the police and said, I, can you wire me up for this conversation? Okay, I was wondering how many people, you know, people from the sex dungeon or whatever you know, would have maybe turned on Bob. 
Yeah, so I think the people from the sex dungeons did turn on Bob to the media. Like they talked to the media about about his whole BDSM thing, but I don't think a lot I don't think any of them really knew about the murder plot or anything like that. But Tibato, you know, when Bob did go to him, um, you know, Tibato was like something's going on. Well, you know, he'd already asked Tibato about roughing up a tenant before, mm-hmm. right? So Tabato was on guard here and he went to the police and he basically said, Hey, can you wire me up before I talk to Bob? Now Bob shows up for their meeting and he's like, he's super paranoid and he's actually um, asking Tabato if he's wearing a wire and he, he patted Tabato down. But apparently the recording device that Tabato had was meant to look like a, a key fob for a car. So Bob didn't see it. Oh yeah. Very, cool. very smart. Um, so Bob asked Tabato if he could have Gents killed while he was in jail. And Tabato went along with it. He was like, sure, I could get somebody to poison him in jail. And he told Bob it would cost him $20,000. And Bob says he'll get the money together as soon as possible. They meet again a few days later. Bob has $2,000 as a down payment on the hit, which he had actually said he was going to bring $3,000. But being That's Bob, he... Typical you know, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> typical Bob. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, I, sorry, another side question. Yeah. So then at this point, Jane's deceased. So does Bob have power over all her money? Uh, good question. I'm guessing he probably did, but you know how those things go. It takes time, takes time. for all mm-hmm. these things. And yeah, I don't know exactly what the status was, but I'm sure, I'm sure Bob was, you know, licking his chops to get at oh, Jane's money yeah. at this point. Um, but as soon as Bob left his meeting with Tabato, Tabato calls prosecutors, they picked Bob up and arrested him later that afternoon. So they still didn't have enough evidence to arrest him on Jane's murder, but at this point he got arranged on a charge of solicitation of murder for trying to have Joe Gents killed, which carries a life sentence in Michigan. Does it really? It could carry a life sentence, but Bob ends up cutting a deal um, because, you know, I think the prosecutors, they cut a deal because they didn't want to have to go through the whole trial and everything. Um, so he eventually agrees to plead guilty in exchange for a sentence of six to 20 years, but he still didn't admit to his involvement in Jane's murder. He basically made it sound like he wanted Gents killed because to avenge Jane's killing. Yeah. So he's still kind of yeah, going, you know, basically lying about all this stuff, but. You've killed my wife and I will avenge her death. Yeah. And he, you know. In court, uh, it's it's really just kind of pathetic. But Bob is like apologizing to Joe Gens in court and all this stuff. And it's just so, it's just really not gross. very sincere and pretty gross. Um, but at least at this point, Bob is for sure going to jail for at least six years. In the meantime, Gens also cut a deal. Uh, he pled guilty to second degree murder uh, and agreed to testify in Bob's trial, assuming that Bob eventually went to trial for Jane's murder. Gents got 17 to 28 years. That seems really unfair. Yeah, I mean, you know. I, I don't he, mean that he he, he killed Jane. Yeah. I just mean that he's taken the fall and Bob took the lesser fall. Yeah, well, I think eventually Bob will, will take a greater fall, as, as we'll see. Um, in April of 2013, so this is more than 14 months after Jane was killed, prosecutors finally decided they had enough evidence to charge Bob with his wife's murder. He was charged with first-degree murder, uh, conspiracy to commit murder, solicitation to commit murder, subornation of perjury, which basically means trying to get witnesses to lie under oath or call in false tips uh, or trying to get a witness to leave the state, witness intimidation and obstruction of justice. So they they kind of threw the book at him. Yeah. Do you know what changed, why they were able to charge him? Did they find new evidence? No, I think they just finally, like, gathered enough i i don't know specifically what they what they got that got them to that point but you know murder investigations take time so i think they finally felt like they had all their ducks in a row to be able to move forward on it um the trial didn't begin until october of 2014 um more than two and a half years after jane's death and like everything else in this case it turned into kind of a circus um, the judge who presided over the trial uh, her name was judge vonda evans and she was pretty well known in the area for having a very mm-hmm. unique kind of non-traditional style in the courtroom. Um, she would often jump in and she would question witnesses herself. Uh, a lot of Bob's trial focused on his BDSM lifestyle because prosecutors were trying to establish 
the reason he wanted his wife dead was so that he could live out his dream of living in a, a polygamous household with two slaves. Judge Evans seemed really intrigued by the whole BDSM thing, and she kept like <laughs> jumping in and asking witnesses to clarify all these like minute details of the lifestyle. It was uh-huh. it, it was really kind of like crazy. She it, again, if you want uh, to be entertained, go look up some videos of Judge Vonda Evans because she is she's a character. And she would be like super polite to people in the courtroom, but then she would like jump down their throat if they did anything to disrespect her at all. She was really, um, yeah, just kind of different for a judge. I guess she actually at one point was talking to um, some networks about doing a show Uh, and she ended up not doing a show, but she was going to be like a Judge Judy type person or something like that. Um, during the trial, the Gross Point Park Police, they got ripped apart on the stand for all their mistakes during the investigation. But in the end, after a two-month-long trial, uh, the jury came back with a guilty verdict on all charges after deliberating for uh, over two days. Gents actually never ended up testifying because prosecutors felt like he wouldn't be seen as a very reliable mm-hmm. witness. So they didn't really need him in the end to, uh, to convict uh, Bob. And he was sentenced to life in prison. But, of course, there is always one more twist in the story. Um, And in this story, Bob appealed the verdict, uh, saying that his lawyers hadn't effectively defended him and that the media made it impossible for him to get a fair trial. While this whole process was playing out, while his appeal was playing out, Joe Gentz dropped a bombshell by filing an affidavit with the court that said that he had lied and that Bob actually had nothing to do with Jane's death. He said he did it all on his own in this affidavit. I, rem- I do remember this happening. And why? <laughs> I know. Why? Well, he, he why is because he was mad at the Gross Point Park police. So he finally took the witness stand, against uh, did. And on the witness stand, he said the affidavit was all bullshit. And he only signed it because he was mad at the Gross Point Park Police Department and the prosecutor's office because they had said they would take care of him and he felt like they weren't taking care of him. He said that the affidavit was prepared by a fellow inmate and that he hadn't even read it. Um, On the stand, Gent said, I'm not that bright, okay? I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I know it makes you feel a little bit sorry for him. But then you remember that he killed an innocent woman. Yeah. And with that, uh, Bob's appeal failed. And he did indeed spend the rest of his life in prison, which turned out to be not that long because he died in August of 2020 uh, at age 62. Cause of death was not released other than uh, to say that it wasn't COVID. COVID was going on at that time and a lot of people in prisons were were dying, but the um, prison reported they had no cases of COVID. So we don't know how he died, but uh, regardless, he uh, is no longer with us and the world is a better place for (laughs) it. Yeah, for sure. How are the Bashara children? Yeah, so they seem to be doing well despite everything. I mean, gosh, you know, you think of everything they went through. They lost lost both their parents, essentially, found out their dad was a huge piece of shit. Um, but they seem to be really doing really well in spite of everything. Um, Robert, uh, the son, lives in California. He works at SpaceX, actually. Oh, cool. Um, Jessica lives in Florida. She's the chief of staff at an investment company, so her career seems to be doing really well. Um, don't know anything about their, you know, their personal lives other than that, but um, you know, just based on that, seems like they are moving on with their lives and and doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. Rachel moved to Texas eventually. She wanted to get out of the media spotlight because she was tired of being. Um, bugged by uh by the media hopefully rachel is dominant in her current relationship <laughs> yeah rachel I, I i find it hard to have a lot of sympathy for rachel too because she just i don't know she just seemed like she kind of let bob walk all over her and lie to her constantly and she just took it and maybe that's just as women many women do well and i guess it's just part of her you know her submissive personality um but it just annoys me that she was like that. And then the other, the last person, uh, Janet, the woman that Bob met in Oregon, um, she says that the few days that she spent with Bob will haunt her for the rest of her life. As you can imagine, right? I mean, this guy comes out, you know, does these things to her. And then two weeks later, his wife is dead and, you know, turns out he's the the murderer. So pretty, pretty crazy. Um, 
it took a long time for Jane's family to get a hold of her ashes. So Bob actually, just another uh, example of what a giant piece of shit he was, he actually used her Jane's ashes as a bargaining chip several times to try to get Jane's family what? to show their support for him oh. publicly. Yeah, he would basically be, they'd be like, you know, can we get Jane's ashes to bury them or whatever? And Bob would be like, well... I'll do that, but, you know, if you go on TV and, and tell them you're behind me, that would really help a lot. That's disgusting. I know. Just a disgusting... That's, that's his children's mother. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty horrible. But she, you know, they finally did get her ashes. She was laid to rest in a memorial garden outside of the church she attended and that she was actively involved in. Um, Bob actually owned the plot next to Jane. And after he died, the family was like... Uh, no way. Anyone but him. Yeah, exactly. So they they convinced the cemetery. They were like, well, we we can't, you know, we have to bury him here because he bought the plot, but we don't have to bury him next to Jane. So they moved him far away from Jane's. So, And that's really the story of... Wait, so Jane was... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Cremated, but ba- but her ashes yeah. were... Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So. Wow. Yeah, so a dark, horrible story, as usual. <laughs> as as usual. Huh. How are you sleeping? <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah, you do seem to sleep quite well. <laughs> I, on the other hand, if I'm working on a case late into the night, I do have a hard time getting to sleep because, you know, it's it's sad. It is. Yeah, we, we are. I've I've found that as we are getting into this podcasting thing, we are like reading about a lot of sad stories and really you know delving into it i guess you know i've always we've always read like true crime and stuff mm-hmm. like that um but yeah this is a little bit of the next level where you're really kind of diving into these people's lives a little bit and watching them on you know videos of them and things like that and have you had any weird dreams yeah no not really <laughs> i've had a couple but i can't i can't really put my finger on exactly what happened you know yeah. i'll try to re- i'll try to remember one the next time it happens but, but just things that are a little darker or uh... no it's just, i know at least uh one of the victims was in my dream but mm-hmm. it wasn't like you know dark or anything it was just they were just kind of there yeah yeah interesting yeah so that's the bob bashara case yeah and i should i should give credit here uh to the sources that i um that i did uh, look at for this episode so i did there there were a couple of dateline episodes as you mentioned so there were there were there were two yeah they, they did were one at different times right yeah they did one while the case was still going on which i actually i, I shouldn't admit this but i didn't watch that one but i should uh-huh. go back because i think it is probably pretty interesting because i think bob was interviewed for that and you know at that point they didn't he he was a suspect for sure but i don't think everyone Thought he but was he hadn't guilty. been arrested. I vaguely remember watching that one, and yeah, there was definitely some doubt as to who the murderer was yeah. at that point. And then they did a follow-up episode after the whole after the trial and everything, and that I did watch that one, and that was interesting. Read a bunch of articles, but um, the best source I found, in case you know anybody wants to go deeper, is a book called "The Sadist, the Hitman, and the Murder of Jane Bashara," which was written by George Hunter and Lynn Rosenthal, who are. Um, local uh media local writers here um definitely recommend it if you want to learn more about the case very good all right so have you uh, read anything other than true crime or watched anything other than true crime lately that you've enjoyed that you'd like to share 
Oh, well, you know, I was going to say I'm reading Under the Banner of Heaven. I think we talked about I that last time. I think we did talk about time, that, yeah, we did. And technically that is true crime as well. It is, So it is. that doesn't really fit. Um, we won't cover that. Yeah, I don't know. I think we're, well, we're both reading a book right now called Pachinko. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, we're having our, our uh, two-person book club. Yeah, I think it's still early in the book for me. Um, so I don't have, so far it seems like a really good book. It's about like... Um, yeah, I started it. And I had a cop. I started it on my Kindle, and I knew that I had a copy. So I said, "Hey, read this, and we'll read it at the same time," which we do once in a great while. And yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty good. Memoirs of a Geisha is one of my favorite books, and to me, it reminds me a little bit of that. Yeah, it's kind of seems like it's sort of a sweeping historical mm-hmm. um, fiction, kind of set in Japan, Korea area. And so far, yeah. Yeah. Really good. Uh, are we watching anything together that we've enjoyed? I always forget. Well, we're watching The Resort. Which I, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a Peacock it original. started out really good and then it kind of got Yeah, that little, first episode yeah. really got me in and I really enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of lukewarm on it right now. Yeah. And uh, the Handmaid's Tale, we still got that going on. I don't think right. we're super enthused about that right now either. Oh, no. I, I mean, I, I, I'm enthused. I, I mean, it's good, but it's also kind of, it's depressing, I guess. Well, yeah. It is a little <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alert that the whole world of uh, what's it called the the, the country uh, Gilead the whole world Gilead, of Gilead, Gilead is not it's not a happy place a little too close for comfort these days yeah maybe but uh, yeah that's all I, that's all I can think of but it, the it's uh, I'm not sure when we're going to release these we just keep recording and uh, but it's early fall right now we're not actually not fall I guess it's late summer. So maybe there's going to be some good stuff that we can talk about coming up. Yeah. But as always, thanks for listening. If anyone is out there listening, yeah. And feel free to email us at lovemarykill at gmail dot com. Yep. Or check us out on uh, all the platforms: Facebook, <laughs> Instagram. Oh, wait, Twitter. we just got a Twitter handle, and what was it? Love Mary Kill Pod. Uh, yeah, because somebody else. Yeah, had Love someone had Love Mary Kill, which was surprising. Um, yeah, and Love, Mary Kill, Facebook, which we'll figure out probably by the time you hear this. But if you have any uh, feedback or a case that you would like us to dive or into. Or any, any snacks that you'd like us to try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's annoying. I don't know. Well, if it's know. annoying, let us know either way. Yeah, but I always like to hear about new snacks. Yeah, me too. I guess barbecue potato chips aren't that innovative, but... <laughs> Anyway, thanks for listening, and until next time, don't kill your husband. And don't kill your wife. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.